Thank you for listening to the Forefront Church Podcast. We are a gospel-driven church in Southwest Denver. Our focus is to help people find their way back to God. We do this through loving God, loving others, so that together we can change the world. This show is hosted by Drew Tar Drew Tarwater. Sorry, I should know that by now, Drew. And I'm Rob Lazzi. Hey, Rob, great to be with you tonight, my friend. It's a great night here. We have a, a special guest that you've uh, known for a little while. With Very us. special guest. We are extremely pleased to welcome on the podcast with us tonight, Doug Cobb. Doug is the founder and managing partner of The Finishing Fund, which is one of our great partners with Forefront Church. And Doug, you're coming to us from Louisville, Kentucky tonight. Is that right? That's right. We're, it's a cold, but uh, but pretty today, sunny. So uh, at least it wasn't gray and, and wintry. That's right. Yeah, we'll, t- we'll take that anytime we can get it this time. Absolutely. Year. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey. Doug, it's so good to have you with us tonight. Uh, I'd love just to jump in. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I know you joined us at Forefront back in June, and we were blessed to have you um, preach that Sunday and just talk about how God is at work through the Finishing Fund. And as Rob and I were talking about this podcast, we thought how fun it would be to have you join us and uh, just talk about some of the new developments and the things that God has been up to. Yeah, it sounds great. I look forward to talking with it. Talk- yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Doug, let's just jump in. And, and, you know, for those that are listening that maybe weren't with us before or are just learning about the Finishing Fund, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what is the Finishing Fund? Well, so I'm a business guy from Louisville, Kentucky. My, my career has been in startups and growth companies uh, in different roles. Sometimes I've been the founder or an investor or a, um, a board member, so different, different roles. And um, not everything in that kind of business works, but a few things did. So it's been a, it was a good career. Um, I um, have been married for 39 years to Gina. Uh, we have three grown children and one really cool grandson and um i go to a great <laughs> big awesome. church here in in louisville uh, southeast christian where i've been a sunday school teacher for about 20 years and an elder for about 15 years so um you know plenty of plenty of good things going on in my life amen That's awesome. yeah that that is so awesome and had a chance to spend some time with your lovely wife gina and uh just uh had, had so much fun hanging out with you guys and i'm sure you guys are going to have a great time uh, once family comes around for Christmas here in a few weeks as well. So I hope that's a, a blessed time together. Well, well Doug, so tell our us grandson's a- two and a half this year. So we're looking forward to, you know, Christmas for him is going to be a, a gas, I think. So oh, terrible twos. Oh, man, that's going to be fun. So, hey, Doug, quick question. This is Rob then. What got you connected to the Finishing Fund or wanted to, wanted to how'd your passion get started for that? So um, it, it, it started through some personal giving uh, that Gene and I were doing. We, I've been connected to a, a fellow named Paul Eshelman for a long time. Paul took me to West Africa for my first sort of overseas trip in 1994 and when he was the uh, head of the Jesus Film Project. And that was sort of my first exposure. It got us connected to some interesting Nigerian ministries that we've been supporting for a long time. But, but more significantly, got me connected to Paul. When he left the Jesus Film a few years ago, he started – a ministry called Finishing the Task. And the task they're trying to finish and the task we're trying to finish with the Finishing Fund is the, the same task, the task of getting the, the uh, gospel to every people group on earth. So when Paul started that ministry, he got me involved in it, and I was doing some volunteer work and helping him with some things. And then um, uh, we had a, an event with a company. We sold a company and had some extra 
money to give. And so um, I asked Paul, so how can we do this maybe to engage some uh, people groups? Uh, and he connected us with some ministries. We we supported some workers to go for the first time to these people groups in India and Nepal where nobody had ever been before. And it was just an amazing experience, uh, you know, just an unbelievable thing to hear these stories about the gospel going to places where it had never been before, hearing the stories of the first people in a people group to ever be followers of Jesus, just mm. just amazing stuff. And So good. So after we'd done that for a little while, I thought, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here to to really help accelerate this effort by bringing a group of of donors together um, in kind of a pool or a fund and and you know really start to give some significant money toward this effort and see if we can't um, just get this done um, and so the the finishing fund was really you know the answer to that sort of idea. What's interesting about it is it looks a lot like what I did in my business career. It, it in a lot of ways, looks like, kind of like a venture capital fund, right? So a bunch of rich people put their money into a venture capital. Oh, Doug, we lost you there for a second. Hope that they'll earn a return. We're doing that. We're investing our money together in the finishing fund, investing in these in these projects, and then sharing the the, the joy of seeing the stories and the results of that. So it's a pretty, you know, it's it's it, it's kind of interesting how God recycles something from my career into, um, you know, into this ministry opportunity. No, that's great. So, and then, so when you, so you did this kind of almost, you went from a business world, a corporate world and took it, brought it to the ministry. Is it, the skills transfer pretty well? Yeah, some, I mean, you know, so the, the sort of the path of my life has been over the last, you know, 20 years, probably less and less business and more and more, ministry, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, every every year it seems like there's a few more ministry things to do and a few less business things to do. And now it's down to probably, you know, maybe 10% of my time is spent on business stuff and about 90% on various ministry things. And so that's just been a kind of a gradual, um, you know, evolution in, in the way my time gets, gets spent. Sort of a, you know, classic halftime kind of thing, if you've read that book, or, you know, if you know anybody that's been through the master's program, kind of the whole significance, like success to significance transition. And it's been great. I, you know, I love this, this stage of life. I love being able to do these things that I, I get to do. But it is interesting how God recycles things from prior experience and then uses them in, uh, in this new thing. I, I just love seeing how he does that, you know, um, through the course of my life. Oh, that's great. So then for like boots on the ground, finishing fund, what are you funding to get done? What's the core work being done? So it's, it's really in some ways very basic, you know, um, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of every nation. Um, the, it means what you would guess it means. It means an ethnic group, an ethno linguistic group, a people group, you know, think about a, a group of people who share a common ancestry, heritage, culture, language. There's about 12,000 of these biblical nations in, around the world, uh, these, these people groups. And we're down to the last few hundred um, that nobody's ever been to with the gospel. It's kind of astounding to think that after, you know, 2,000 years, there would still be people groups that um, have never heard. But these remaining ones, they're they're very small. They're pretty pretty remote. Some of them are pretty hostile. Uh, they've just been easy to overlook. You know, they've been the groups. Well, we'll get there next year, and you know, next year turns into next year, and the next year, and nobody ever goes. And 
we're so close to this finish line um, of seeing disciples in every one of those groups. That's the thing we're trying to accelerate with the finish fund. Let's just get that done. You know, let's, 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 you know, to the best of our knowledge, let's get the gospel to every people group uh, that has never, um, never heard it. Yeah, Doug, I just love the heart behind the finishing fund and, and the mission. Um, and, And like you said, the, the simplicity of let's take God's word and make disciples of all nations and live out the great commission. You know, Doug, talk for a moment about just some of those designations. So, um, maybe somebody yep. who hasn't spent a lot of time around a missionary or been in the mission field, what really would constitute an unengaged or an unreached people group? How do they find their classifications? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it does get a little bit technical sometimes, but let's start at the top of the stack and work down. So, you know, a reached people group would be a people group where there are significant numbers of Christians and churches and people have, a, you know, if they want to, an uh, easy access to the gospel. So an unreached people group would be a people group with some Christian presence, but not much. Uh, the, the line is, some people disagree about this, but, you know, common n- number is 2% or less would be unreached. So there are some churches and some Christians, there's some access to the gospel, but not much. Um, and a lot of people groups in the Middle East fall into that category, in Asia fall into that category. There'll be some presence of the church, some, some believers, maybe some scripture, but not much. And then at the very bottom of the stack are the unengaged uh, people groups. These are people groups that where there is no known believer, no church, and as far as we know, nobody trying to even enter that place with the gospel. So the the unengaged are the ones at the very bottom that um, where you know the the gospel has not penetrated at all yet. Thanks, Doug. That is uh, really helpful. I think it helps uh, give us a, a good snapshot at some of those classifications. You know, one thing that we as a church will tend to talk about is. Uh, the focus on missions in in what we refer to as the 1040 window. Uh-huh. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that window? And then within that 1040 window, what does it mean? But also tell us a little bit about the, the unengaged and unreached percentages. Is that where we find the majority of those groups that are still existing that are unreached? Yes, both both the unengaged and the unreached you know, you'd find many of them in that 1040 window. It's just a geographical description of the, you know, the countries in the world between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north. And, uh, you know, if you plot that on a map, it's going to be a good part of, of the, you know, Sahara area of Africa, Northern Africa, the Middle East, into Asia, India, you know, Indonesia, that, that part of the world where, you know, you're going to have a lot of unreached and unengaged groups. Not exclusively, there are unengaged groups outside of that uh, window as well, predominantly in the Amazon basin still, but, um, but that's a pretty good model for where a lot of the work remains to be done. Mm. Yeah, really helpful. So then what's the, uh, what's the need for you guys? Obviously, you're trying to raise money and support, but like with the, like how hard is it to find people to translate? It sounds like it's not like we're taking it to other English-based languages. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is that um, uh, you don't really have to translate before you engage. And the reason for that is something that's easy to miss if you're an American, because in America, we all basically speak one language and we expect everybody to speak our language. But 
in most parts of the world, people can speak more than one language. And it's especially true for these remaining unengaged groups, because they're going to be small minority people groups living in in a majority context. So when they go to the marketplace or when they travel to the nearest big city, they're going to be out of their context and into the context of the surrounding majority peoples. And so in India, say, um, a minority people group might have their own uh, you know, language, and there may be a few thousand speakers of that language, but they're probably going to speak Hindi, and some of them are going to speak Hindi uh, really, really well. And so you can take advantage of that fact to begin gospel engagement. I call it a shared language strategy. So the the engagers, the missionaries, you know, they have their heart language, but they speak Hindi. The target uh, people group, they have their heart language, but they speak Hindi. They share the Hindi language, and that's enough of a basis to start uh, engagement. Later, after the church gets formed and begins to grow, those people are going to want heart language scriptures. They're going to want the language, the scripture in the language that is the closest to them, and that's when translation work uh, starts to kick in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, thanks, Doug. So one of the questions that I think some of our, our um, church members and some people may be curious about is, you know, what does it look like to engage a people group in, say, this 1040 window or a group that is unreached and unengaged? I think mm-hmm. sometimes we imagine a missionary from America raising the funds and then moving their family over there to live locally amongst those people and start a church or you know create a Bible study and and, and really grow uh, a ministry from there. What what's finishing funds approach to this? And do you have a, a similar or have you taken a, a completely different model? So it, it, a couple of things that are interesting about the, the way this is happening, and it really isn't the fund. We're sort of riding this horse, but um, almost none of these last groups are being engaged by Americans or, or even by Westerners. Uh, almost all of this work, and I, when I say almost all, I mean like 97, 99% of this work is being done by national workers. So it is an Indian believer going to an Indian people group or a Laotian believer going to a Laotian people group. It, it's not Westerners that are the running this last mile of the race. The reason for that, well, there's several reasons, but one reason for it is that the church around the world is really waking up to this opportunity and seeing that missionary work is not something just that Americans do or you know Westerners do, but it is something that the whole church everywhere is called to. And so the church in you know, every country around the world, all the places I've been in the last couple of years is really starting to say, this is our opportunity. We want to take this and, and run with this. Um, there's some really great blessings from the fact that they're doing that. But, you know, it's much, much easier for a near culture um, missionary to engage a group than for a far culture missionary to do it. You know, if you're a, an Indian and you go two or 300 kilometers to a, a group, yeah, you're in a different place, but it's not near as different as it's going to be if you're coming from Denver or from, from Louisville to that mm. place, right? It's, it's near culture. So true. And, um, and it's a lot less expensive. You know, it can cost $100,000 to send an American family over, you know, just to do all the time it ta- ta- takes to train and fundraise and transportation and moving all their stuff over. 
we support most of the missionaries we support. Um, we can do a two-person team for about ten thousand dollars a year. So, oh. mm. the the leverage on funds is remarkable. You know, it's it's really quite amazing. So, um, you know, very very efficient uh, to take advantage of the the willingness of those uh, you know national missionaries to go to fund them rather than trying to fund Americans to go do that same thing. And and so over your time working with the finishing fund, what type of uh... I say, I guess results have you have you guys accomplished in your time with with the fund? So we we just crossed through eight million dollars that has been committed to the fund by sixty partners. So so incredible. That's a nice milestone to get to. Amen. Uh, we and that's that, that's in two years' time. Um, and we have uh, put about a little more than six million of that out. We'll put more out pretty soon. We're evaluating several projects right now, but um, we. Um, uh, we've put about six and a quarter of that out, and that six and a quarter has funded projects to touch about 400 people groups. So in 40 some countries, 43 countries, I think, on the most recent count. So, you know, I, I really am thankful God has really done what we hoped he would do through this, and that is to help speed this process up. You know, the, the pace of engagement is now running close to a people group a day um, around the world somewhere. Mm. Some, some, some missionaries walking into some village for the first time every day uh, around the world. And, um, you know, the fund has helped to speed that along by, by kind of taking money out of the equation as a, an excuse for, you know, not going. We, we make it easy to say yes. That's incredible. So you're, it's basically around a little over 100 grand per people group is what you guys are to get them not even uh you know the the number we use is uh, about 30 grand per Whoa. people group would be wow. the would be the cost of engagement some are more some are less uh we can talk about you know some of the ups and downs of that different parts of the world we're finding south america to be a little more expensive because brazil is not really a developing country but a you know a nearly developed country so you know wages are higher there but um but generally yeah about about 30 grand for three years is the way we we think about it that's a, I mean, on the business side, that's yeah, a great it's ridiculous. Value. It? <laughs> it is, absolutely. And so, like, when when these people hear the gospel and and get a chance to read it in their own language for the first time, like, how does that help with the spread of the gospel in their community? So, you know, one of the things we've seen that's been really interesting to me is how often um, the gospel, somebody in a place becomes a believer within, even on the very first day that a worker comes into uh, that place. Um, it, it really feels to me in many parts of the world that the Holy Spirit is sitting there with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, want, wait, saying, where are you guys? You know, what, what are you waiting for? Because it just seems very clear that the, he has been at work ahead of these workers preparing the hearts and minds of, you know, those that he has chosen um, you know, to be ready to be called. And so like, you know, the very first project we funded was a project in a, a country in the Caucasus region. I, I'm not going to name the country because it would, it would be bad for the, the folks there. There were six uh, unengaged people groups in this country, uh, all located up in the high, high mountains, very, very remote place. And a U.S.-based ministry had some work going on in that country and had recruited, had, had been planning some churches in the capital city and recruited some folks who had only been believers themselves a couple of years to 
go to this place with the gospel. So they, you know, we, we funded them. They, they went, they'd been praying that God would introduce them to a person of peace. They, they make this incredibly difficult journey up over these mountain roads. And I mean, roads is euphemistic, right? Uh-huh. It, they're, they are trails, you oh, know, uh, barely able to be, yeah, paths, <laughs> right? And, but they get there, and so they've been praying for a person of peace. They're driving into the village. They see this guy walking by the side of the road with his cattle. Uh, he, you know, they stop, make conversation, you know, introduce themselves, begin to, you know, why are you here? Well, they, they start to tell him about, you know, they've come to tell him good news that, you know, of the gospel. And, you know, the man starts to cry right there beside the road. He just breaks mm. down into, into sobbing. And, um, well, you know, he says, I, I've just been carrying this burden of, of guilt and shame, and I have not had any way to deal with it. And they explained to him about, you know, the forgiveness and the, and the peace that comes from relationship with Jesus Christ. And right there on the spot, they're not even in the village yet. He becomes the first follower of Jesus and his people group in the history of the of the world. Um, wow. And so, you know, we hear stories, amazing. we hear stories like that. In, and so he says, so to answer your question, he says, you've got to come tell my family about this. So he takes them to his house mm. where they tell his wife and his kids, you got to tell my friends. He invites people over to the house. That house is now the first church among that people group. And he is, they're now making plans. There's um, four or five other villages for this, this people group. And they're beginning to work to plant churches in those places as well. So that's that, you know, there, there's no exact like it always works like this. It's always different in some way, but that story is not atypical from the, you know, the kind of things that we, we see. Just out of curiosity just with uh, when they start forming these churches and other people groups and communities, what are the, how, how does it look different from maybe the American church that we're used to? Like how, oh, how do they do church? Yeah. Very, very different. So church for, in the context of what we're talking about here is, you know, somewhere between 10 and 30 people in a house, uh, you know, somewhere, not a building, the pastor, the leader of the church probably has only been a believer a little longer than most of the people in there. So it's, it's, you know, really organic, very close to the ground. But, you know, if you think about it, it's not too different from the model of Acts. You know, Paul would go to a place, he'd be there for a while, he'd appoint leaders, he'd leave and, you know, they'd be doing church, right? So, um, it's, you know, it looks a lot like that. Later, in some places, buildings become a part of it. You know, more formal training for the pastors is always a useful thing that comes along. But at the beginning, it's pretty it's pretty raw and basic. Yeah, and then you, you sort of raise another question. Then is like you have these people that are new Christians leading the church. How, how, does the finishing fund help get them the resources, the training they need to help, you know, I would say grow the church, lead the church, understand what, the, you know, Understand. So disciple building is is part of the the you know the mission, and so that's one of the reasons we do th- these three year engagements. You know, we're not just there to you know get a few indications, get a few people baptized, and then take off. We want to check you know, the box be there and go. For long <laughs> enough. Yeah, check a box and move on. We want to be there long enough to have a you know a church established and formed that can sustain itself and carry on. It, it's not always 
possible in three years, but but it often is, and so that's where we that's where we start. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so interesting, Doug. I, I just love I, I just love to hear that about you know, like you say, I, I just I just have this picture in my mind of, of like you say, the Holy Spirit sitting there with the tapping his foot with the ball cap on, waiting for somebody to finally get here. You know, and yeah. and Isn't I that good? it's so good. It, it, it's so good. You know, my 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 friend Paul Eshman tells a story about these house churches. He said he was in I forget where this happened, but somewhere around the world and. He asked the guy, well, tell me about church. He goes, well, what do you want to know? He goes, well, like, what do you do? He said, well, we read God's word. We pray about it. We talk about what it means. And then we do what it says. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, well, that's pretty good. Right? That, that <laughs> is pretty if good. more Americans would get that last part now, we'd be, we'd yeah. be in a lot better shape, wouldn't we? So we, we would, yeah. We don't need the fog machine, but we just need to do right. what it says, <laughs> <That's> right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, pretty basic. Yeah, I love that. You know, Doug, when we met last year and began to hear the story of the finishing fund, I was just captivated by the, the model and um, – when you guys would talk about going into a new village, a new community, and identifying the person of peace. And you just referenced that a couple minutes ago. Could you talk yep. more about that uh, for those that may not be familiar with the, this concept of how maybe the Holy yeah. Spirit's at work there? Who is the person of peace? Yeah, it's a biblical concept, right? It comes right out of, well, one place is Luke chapter 10. There's mm-hmm. there's other places, but you know, uh, the disciples are sent out by Jesus and they're instructed to, you know, seek out a person of peace in this, in the places where they go. So this is a person often of some standing in the, in the, in the village or the place, um, some reputation, maybe a a leader, maybe not. Um, sometimes it's a really hard boiled sinner whose remarkable transformation is, is powerful. So it can be, it can be a, a range of folks. And, you know, um, it's, it's really a Holy Spirit-driven appointment. Many of our teams who use this approach will prayer walk in a place for a day or a week or even a month sometimes uh, against the, you know, the demonic forces in that place and asking God to identify the, the person of peace. So when it finally the connection is made, it is often a, you know, a Holy Spirit-driven connection uh, that gets made there. And this is the person who will receive these missionaries and welcome them and be open to their message. Not always does that person become a believer, but always that person becomes a, an important uh, connection to the, you know, to that place. That's incredible. Yeah. That, that just amazing how the Holy spirit is at work walk, you know, as a group of missionaries would walk in or, or you yeah. know, that native pastor would walk in and identify that person that the Lord is pointing them to, to make contact at first. I just love that. So I, I was in Nepal a couple of years ago with a group of guys that were doing this. They were talking about how they do this. And I, I asked such an American question, such an enlightenment driven question. I said, so do you ever get the person of peace wrong? <laughs> and, and they looked at me and kind of looked at their shoes and said, you know, well, no, we ask the Holy Spirit to take us to that person, and he, and he does, right? And so, you know, that's such a pure view of this, right? He yes. told us this is what we should do. We do it. He does what he says. And I, I just, you know, I was embarrassed to have asked the question, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm kind of glad I did because it, it just reminded me that, you know, uh, there's very different perspectives on these things in different parts of the world. You're so right. I'm, I'm glad you did because I would have asked it too. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, we were there just yeah. not saying anything, yeah. watching like, good, exactly. he asked that for yeah. us. Yeah, Doug, that, he's asked us. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Doug, one of the things that I, I thought was really fascinating um, when you guys w- 
when you were talking last about um, you know going in, identifying that person of peace, and, and really you know standing in opposition of the demonic forces. And I think in America we've been so um, so almost shielded from the su- supernatural that we sometimes I think people will hear stories of how um, there are forces at work, um, the spiritual warfare, things that are going on around the globe that sometimes I think in America it becomes easy for us to say, oh, that sounds like a Bible story, um, but I've never seen anything like that in my life. Mm-hmm. Without diving in too deep, is there anything you can share with us about some of just that supernatural um, activity that you guys have seen going into some of these very remote villages and remote people groups as you identify that person of peace? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm a classical evangelical, you know, go to a, a big evangelical church. And so, you know, not a, not a Pentecostal at all. But um, once you leave the, the West, once you leave the shores and you get into this kind of work, you know, you just begin to see over and over again the power of the Spirit uh, at work. Uh, it's in, undeniable. In fact, I think if you lined up all of our ministry partners and asked them, you would hear them unanimously say that, you know, uh, works of miraculous works of the Spirit are a fundamental and indispensable part of this work. Um, so healings are very common. Um, demonic encounters are, are common. Um, you know, exorcisms, um, other kinds of miraculous things are, are very common. Um, it, it's so common, in fact, that sometimes it's hard to even get the workers to tell you the stories because for them it's Tuesday. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it, wow. it's just what happens. And, I, you know, I've pondered on that a little bit. And here's, here's how I rationalize that. Here's how I think about that. The you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, in some village in, you know, Laos, uh, it might as well be 52 AD, right? I mean, Jesus has never mm. been heard. His name has never been heard there. They don't know who that is. They're, they're stuck in darkness. And so when the church comes there and the Holy Spirit begins to move there, he's going to do the same things there now that he did in those places we read about in the Bible then, because the same thing is required that was required then. There needs to be a demonstration of the truth of what these uh, men and women are claiming as they as they say these things. And so it just seems to me like it's, you know, it's just totally expected that we would be seeing these things in these places where uh, the gospel has never been before. That's amazing. And as a, as a fund and as an organization, if as we think of ways of how we can help you out, like what are... If you said, boy, if we could just take this one thing off our plate or have this one burden not to have to worry about, what would that be for your organization? Well, there's there's maybe three things that come to mind. I mean, one, one thing is this this is a spiritual battle. Um, you know, the enemy is losing territory and uh, the people who are involved in that battle, he's not happy with us. And so... Um, we and that starts you know with with me and the partners in the finishing fund our ministries that we work with and our um you know and the workers who actually are going and doing the work from you know from top to bottom we really need prayer from people so you know people can be praying for this work around the world that the gospel will get to these groups that the enemy will be restrained and and um you know and that's a huge huge thing it's really really critical um Second, you know, we need probably to raise another, you know, $7 million, probably something like that to be able to, you know, get to all the rest of the groups. It's a little imprecise, but, you know, that's, that's about what I think total. I start off thinking about 15 million total and that's 
about still correct. So, you know, we're, we, we'd, um, you know, we can use help with, with the money. And then, you know, the, the third part is, you know, just mobilizing your church to be more aware of this, this thing, you know, it, one of the things that makes me sad is as I travel around, so few people know where we stand in this great commission race. You know, we're, we're in the stadium, you know, the marathon is behind us. We're the finish line is just right there. And very few people know that we're close to that. You know, it, I don't even think most people would even conceive that there is a finish line. Uh, if you know what I mean? Right. You know, and so this idea that, um, you know, Jesus gave us a specific task to go and make disciples of every nation. And we're almost there. Sadly, very few people know about that. So, you know, as people hear about it, being able to share that in their church and get people excited about the time we live in, I think is a really a, a very valuable um, mission. You know, Doug, every time you talk about us seeing the finish line, I just get goosebumps. Yeah. You know, I just, it, it's so exciting to even think about. And, and I know you just kind of hit on it a little bit there, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us just a snapshot. So put that into perspective for us again. You know, we said we've, we, you know, the finishing fund has reached about 400 people groups in about 40 different countries. Um, yep. We take the total number of people groups that are left. What, what do you yep. think? I mean, how, how long until we can say that God, the word of God has entered every people group in every corner of the world? Um, help, help me help me get excited about that. I just love when you talk about this. So I'm always careful to say this is, you know, by the grace of God, right? Because he it's a spiritual battle. It's his battle. We're the we're his hands and feet. But this happens because he he allows it and permits it to happen. But, Amen. You know, by by his grace, um, I, I think Drew, we're not more than three years away mm. from seeing that. I, if by Christmas of 2002 we're not done, we're going to be down to a very very short list of of remaining groups. Wow, um, it's happening wow. really really fast. And um, you know, there's some that might be really hard. If you've ever built a house, you know how long the punch list can last. There may be a few at the end that you know drag <laughs> us out for a little longer, but oh, yeah. Um, uh, but you know it, what it feels like to me is that you know we're we're rapidly rapidly you know um, seeing the gospel penetrate these remaining places. Where can we hear more stories about what you what you guys are doing? Well, I can tell you more. Uh, I can tell you more. Let's do um, it. Love that. You know we we tend not to post much of this because of the danger to the workers and the new believers in these places. You know that these are mostly in places where you know, the gospel is not um, welcome. And so we're careful about publicly posting these things. Our partners get to hear about it, but, um, you know, we don't, uh, we don't put that out publicly. But, you know, like the story I told you about, uh, about the fellow in the Caucasus, you know, a similar story in the country of Laos, um, uh, in Southeast Asia. I, I think I can say that without problem. I won't say the name of the people group, but workers there who went to a village and um, looking for someone that they could speak to in Lao uh, because it was a pretty remote village. There weren't a lot of bilingual speakers, but they found a lady. She was a leader in the village and they began to have conversation with her and ask her about what their struggles were. There's a lot of addiction in this place, a lot of illness in this place. And, you know, this woman uh, finally said, um, you know, we, we feed the spirits and we, you know, we sacrifice to them, but I don't think they really care about us. I don't think they can really help us. Wow. Um, and um, so how would you like to have that kind of an opening, Drew? You think you could drive a truck through that one? And uh, That's incredible. So, you know, wow. They, 
they be, they begin to tell her about you know Jesus who has power, who's the creator of the the universe, you know, and who has power and who can deliver them from the, the things. And as I said, you know, in the in the case of the previous guy, literally in the first day, this woman decides that she's going to become a follower of Jesus. And literally that night, they take her out in the dark and baptize her in uh, you know a, a river, a small river that's running by the that place. And so, you know, just another case where, you know, you just have to say the Holy Spirit was there, had her completely prepared. And, you know, all that had to happen was somebody show up and tell the story. You know, stories like that make me tell people the most important word in the Great Commission is go. Mm. You know, the first word, go. Go and make disciples of every nation. But the first word, go, is the most important word. Because if you go, amazing things can happen. If you don't go, nothing's going to happen. And so um, go, right? That's that's what we're trying to tell our partners. Go, let's get this done. That's so good. What did Larry Bird say? You, you miss all the shots you don't take? Right? You don't take it. Exactly yeah. Right. If you don't go, there's, it's not going to happen, right? It does, yeah. it does not happen any other way. Uh, right. You know, For some reason in his wisdom, God decided he was going to have his people be the ones who reap his harvest. And um he, you know, no question he could have done it faster and better without us, but that's the way he chose to do it. I'm thankful he did. And, but that's, you know, that's the only way it happens. People Amen. have to go. Man, that's just so incredible. I, I just love those stories. And, and Doug, to think, like you just said, by God's grace, that every people group could be impacted by the gospel by Christmas of 2022. That is I, incredible. It just raises the hair on the back of your neck to even think about that were that close to the finishing line. I just love it. Well, you know, one of the things that really inspires me in this work, um, you know, Jesus not, a, not only told us to go do this, but he, he seemed, it seems very clear to me that he linked his return to the completion of this work. And in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus' disciples early in that chapter asked him a very direct question. The, the Doug Cobb translation of the question is, when are you coming back? That's pretty, pretty close, actually. And he tells them a lot of things that are going to happen before he comes back. But then in verse 14, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So they ask him a direct question. When are you coming back? He says, this gospel will be preached to all nations, and then I'm coming back. Mm. And so I don't know if that's... um, the next day or a hundred years later, you know, that's above my pay grade. I don't worry about that. (laughs) But what I do think is he's not coming back until we've done what he gave us to do. And so that's what I'm trying to do is, and, and my partners is let's get that out of the way. Let's get this done. He gave us a job. Let's get it done. And then we can start looking up. It'll be in his hands then, not, not in our hands. No, very good. So good. We're, we're excited for that. Uh, Christmas 2022. Yeah, it'll be pretty cool, huh? Yeah, right. No, and so I mean, not to you know change the uh, direction of the conversation here, but I'm I'm not all that excited for that. I'm getting married here in a month or six <laughs> months, and you're and you're trying to you know, you know, I'm trying to tap the brakes here a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think you know what I, I, I know you're joking about that, but I do think that you know a lot of people do feel that way. That's so good. You know, but you should think about what his word says, you know, that you know, I has not seen nor what does it say Drew help me with this, you know, nor mind, you know, nor can, you know, you can imagine what God has in store. Right. Yeah. For I his people. And listen, not I, heard. I, That's right. 
I, I can imagine some pretty good stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yes. <laughs> when, I, when I put my mind to it, and if, if it's better than I can imagine, it's going to be it's, it's going to be, be pretty good. good right? Yeah, oh, so, that's absolutely, right. Absolutely. We, we all celebrate when, when, people, when the kingdom gets more crowded. That's so right. We're, yeah, exactly we're, right. We're yeah, all, that's right. All for it. And like I said, just joking there. But yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about where it's like, I think I heard stories about this like when I was in high school 20 some years ago. And when they're saying, you know, this is going to take, you know, 20 some years to do and you sort of see you know the work you're doing and others are doing to sort of like you said to, to finish the race on this to, to you know to finish this command that he said hey do this yeah now we're rounding the corner full sprint toward the finish line what hurdles do you see coming up that for the finishing fund that you know to cross that finish line there's stuff that you know with the more remote groups that maybe new challenges for projects that you haven't had to overcome yet well, I suspect the spiritual opposition is going to get tougher as we get closer to the end. Um, you know, the enemy knows what's coming too. And so uh, I, I will expect that. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there are some groups that are left that are um, the governments in these places have effectively kind of put them off limits. They, they pass laws that protect these Stone Age, um, you know, people groups from any outside contact at all. So they really have tr turned them into almost like um, uh, almost like zoo exhibits, you know, except they're not out where you can see them. They're right out in the jungle. But like Brazil has done that with some of their people groups. So you have to be very crafty in how you get to those groups uh, without getting you know, thrown in jail. Um, and there's other countries that have done that as well. There's some groups that are very, very hostile. You may have um, may remember the story from about a year ago of a young man named John Chow who went to an island in the Indian Ocean uh, uh, called North Sentinel Island to take the gospel to the people that live there, the Sentinelese people, one of the remote, pe remote people groups on earth. And um, he was killed there on the second day he was you know, there on the island. Um, and so there will be martyrs and there will be uh, places that are you know harder than other places. But even that, you know, even John's death probably will play a role in the Sentinelese people one day, you know, receiving the gospel. It's impossible to know how God will mm. use that. But yeah. much like the story of Jim, Jim Elliott, you know, That's from right. the 50s, um, you know, God won't waste that, I don't think. So, mm. you know, we'll just see how we'll see how he uses that. Absolutely. Yeah, Doug, you know, I, I tell you, just talk with you tonight and and just it gets me so excited about it for how god's at work but also along those same lines brings up just the reality and and how delicate um this these situations can be stepping into new people groups and just the risk um that the uh, partners and the ministry partners are are taking on each and every day by stepping into these environments. And, and so as a church, we look forward to the opportunity to continue to pray uh, for the finishing fund and pray for the spiritual battle that that's in front of us. Doug, I tell you this last year, as we have partnered with the finishing fund, uh, it, it has been such a fantastic partnership. And, and as a church, uh, we are just, our hearts are sold out for what you and the partners in the fund are doing. Um, you, if, if there are people that are listening to this podcast that want to maybe get in contact with you, want to learn more about maybe uh, to help continue uh, this work in, in some of the most remote parts of the world, Doug, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and to learn more? Send an email to info at finishingfund.org. Finishing fund is just the way you would think it would be, one, one word, and .org. So info at finishingfund.org. That will get forwarded to me, and I'll, uh, I'll follow up. Absolutely. That's great. 
That's right, Doug. We, we've had a good conversation here. Is there anything we missed that you want to make sure someone hears that, you know, if they've heard this, what would you, is there anything we missed? Do you want to make sure they know? I just think people should be incredibly excited. You know, um, I think we live in the most remarkable time in human history. Um, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, I really wish I'd been alive, you know, during the Bible times, could have, you know, seen Jesus with my own eyes. Yeah, that would be, that would have been pretty cool. But, um, you know, there is a generation, uh, there will be a generation that will see the return of Christ, that will never have to experience death before, mm. you know, uh, they see him. And, you know, my thought is, why not our generation? You know, why don't we get this work done so that we can be the generation that experiences that, you know, uh, ultimate event in human, in human history. So, Amen. you know, be excited. We live, in, we live in amazing times. God is at work in a powerful way around mm. the world. It's so incredible. Well, Doug, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Stay with us just for one more moment. Yeah, here, okay? Doug, thank you so much for your time tonight. And what a blessing, brother, to catch up with yep. you and hear about how God's at work. And we look forward to uh, continuing the partnership. Look forward to uh, continuing to hear the stories about how uh, God's at work in these incredible places around the globe and, and look forward to continuing to be able to, to join you in prayer. So thank you so much, Doug. And, and thank you to everybody who joined us on our podcast tonight. If you find yourself in Southwest Denver, we'd love to have uh, you stop by and see us at Forefront Church. And for more info, check us out at ForefrontChurch.tv. Uh, thanks again for joining us here at the Forefront Church podcast, where we ask Jesus be big in our lives, in our church, and in our world. God bless.